We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Monte. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Monte. And on your way there, I was wondering if you can make a pit stop over in Exodus chapter 31. Exodus chapter 31. Look what it says in verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the spirit of God and wisdom and understanding and knowledge and in all manner of workmanship to design artistic works and to work in gold and silver and bronze and cutting jewels for setting and carving wood and to work in all manner of workmanship. And I, and I, and I indeed, I have appointed with him Ohalab, the son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan, and I have put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans that they may make all that I have commanded you. Yeah, I like this right here, going through the Bible. It's been cool reading this uh, story of Moses. And what I wanted to kind of point out to you tonight is how the Lord calls people by name. He calls them individually. He knows their name. And he gives them certain gifts. Uh, for example, right here, these guys were gifted. Uh, he says artisans. And, uh, you know, in the church, the Lord gifts different people in different ways. It's totally him, the talents, and then the gifts that get cultivated and it's just so neat to see what the Lord does. And, and, and the thing is, is that the Lord calls you by name. I mean, he knows Andrew. He knows Fernando. He knows, you know, Linda. I'm not trying to embarrass anybody. He knows Mikey. He knows you, David. He knows you, Rico. He knows you by name. And he has given every person different types of gifts, different types of places in the body. He called Moses by name. We're going to see that in Exodus 33. And here he calls all these guys by name. And there's a specific place in the body that he wants them to be. If you go over to Exodus 33, look at verse 12. Then Moses said to the Lord, see you, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know you whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name. See, God knows your name. He can pronounce it too. First name, last name, middle initial, whatever it might be. You know, you see over in Exodus 33, look at verse 17. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. Juan Pedro. I, I could just I wish I knew all your names, but I, I you guys gotta know God, God God does. God knows all the stars by name. He calls every single star by name. And if he knows all the stars by name, which he flung into the sky and not created in his image, don't you think he knows your name? And don't you think he knows where you belong? And don't you think you know the gifts that he himself has put within you? Then why is it that so frequently we find ourselves struggling with these types of things? We're not doing what we should do and with the fervency in which we should do this. God has called you. And it's not a, 
you know, a thing where we're competing with each other. I pray that that spirit would just die. We are not competing. We are completing each other. And we're going to see that in our study in First Chronicles. And we've kind of already been touching on this. If you go back to chapter 26 of First Chronicles, the backdrop again, if you look at this, is King David, he's organizing the various positions of leadership and service in Israel. By the time Ezra writes this book, uh, he's putting basically historical Davidic documents together, and what they're doing is they're restoring temple worship. They're bringing it back to where it should be. Organization for the nation of Jews returning from captivity. And that's why when you read this right here, you'll find Bible teachers will tell you that the emphasis is from a priestly perspective because of the fact that a priest wrote it, a priest who loved the Lord, and a priest who was trying to get the church, so to speak, back to where they belonged. And a priest who knew, and a man who knew, that there must be structure, there must be organization, there must be the right people in the right places in order to do the right job. And the Lord will do that. Sometimes the Lord will shuffle things around. he say, no, they're not doing it. You're not doing what I'm calling to do. I'm going to put someone else there. And God rearranges things, and God's going to make it better than it ever was because this is his church, and you are his people. Organization, putting the right people with the right heart in the right place is so important. And that's what David does here. And the thing about it is that he, he mentions all these names. And a lot of times we don't like to read all those names, specifically me. I don't like to read all those names and I won't read all those names, but the Lord knows all those names. Look what it says in verse 1. It says, concerning the divisions of the gatekeepers, of the Korahites, Meshlemiah. That's a cool name, huh? Meshlemiah, the son of Cori. See, you guys didn't know Cori is in the Bible, right? Cori of the sons of Asaph. This is not the Asaph of the Psalms. This is a different Asaph, right? And the sons of Meshelamiah were Zechariah, the firstborn, Jedeiel, the second, Zebediah, the third, Jathnel, the fourth, Elam, the fifth, Jehohanan, the sixth, Eliahonai, the seventh. See, and all these names. <laughs> and um, can I ask you a question? Okay, one day when we're in heaven, Who's going to get a bigger reward, David or Michelle Amaya? And the answer is you don't know. You don't know. Now, typically, a lot of people will say, well, David's going to get a big reward because he did more. You know, he was like the king, and he killed Goliath, and, you know, he wrote all these psalms, and he did all these things. But you guys, you got to know this, according to 1 Corinthians 3 and 1 Corinthians chapter 4, that it's not based on how much work you do because... God can use a donkey. And I learned that in my own life. God can use a donkey. God can speak through a donkey. And not only is that a revelation for us because donkeys don't speak, it's also a revelation for us because donkeys are stubborn. That's me. Can't speak. I'm a terrible sinner. God will use a donkey. So just because God's using somebody doesn't mean that one day when we're home in heaven, that they're going to get the greatest reward. Do you guys know that? Do you understand that? It's not a matter of what position you hold. Oh, the pastors are going to get greater rewards than the person who's just a prayer warrior. It's not true. It's not biblical. 
the ones that are going to get the greatest reward according to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 are the ones who were the most faithful. Wherever God puts you, wherever God puts you, were you faithful there? And one day we're going to stand before the Lord, and I have no doubt in my mind that there's going to be, you know, these old ladies. That, we're not going to be old in heaven, though, huh? <laughs> you know, we see them now, and we think, well, you know, all they do is pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and pray, and one day they're going to be there with these crowns, rewards in heaven. So, you know, I, 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 we go over these names here, and, and it's not because they're not significant. And I want you guys to know that. It's just a matter of God calling us by name and God putting gifts in us and then God putting us where we're supposed to be. And all that he asks is that we would be faithful wherever he puts us. But man, you've got to be put somewhere. You've got to be serving the Lord somewhere. Where are you serving the Lord? What gifts do you have that you're exercising for his glory? Have you ever thought about it? God put gifts in you, and God put callings and responsibilities in our life so that together we can function, and all he's asking is that you would be faithful where he placed you. These guys right here, you want to know what they were? If I could just put it this way, they were ushers. They were hushers. They're like, hey, you can't talk during worship. You're supposed to be worshiping during worship. And there's an usher, and he has to do that job. Or, you know, hey, you got a seat right here. you got three in your family. There's a room right here. Or they're gatekeepers, and they're watching the door to make, make sure that, you know, the bad guy doesn't come in. Um, more to it. But notice in verse 1, it says, concerning the divisions of the gatekeepers of the Korahites. In the Old Testament, the gatekeeper was a Levite. We've seen that already in this He's just talking about all the descendants uh, of Levite having different places of responsibility there in the future temple, right? And he would be stationed at the gates who kept watch over who and what came in and out of the God's grounds. Um, They were also called watchmen. If you would look over at chapter 26, uh, look at verse 16. It says, To Shupim and Hosa the lot came out, for the west gate with the Shalaketh gate on the ascending highway, watchmen, opposite watchmen. So these are guys there at the gates, they're guards there at the doors, uh, they're watchmen, they're ushers, uh, they're stationed at all four gates we're going to see. And, you know, to me it's interesting, the expositor's commentary calls them temple guards. Not only were they in charge of security, so to speak. You know how you go to some churches, and some churches, they won't let you bring in a bag without checking it. Why? Because you might have something crazy in there, huh? You might have a bomb or something. And so, you know, if I see a guy going in with a backpack, I'll usually say, hey, do you know him? And can you check out what's going on? You know, we have to have that type of security. It's important. Um, But also, um, not only is security in that sense, not only that type of temple guard, but these guys, it's interesting. Scholars tell us that they made sure that only those who were ready to serve and worship God could come to the temple and its associated building. You know, it's kind of like, are you clean to come in? Are you here to worship? If you're not, don't come in. 
we're here to guard that door because this is God's sanctuary. And we know the Levitical law, and these are certain things you're supposed to be doing, certain things you're not supposed to be doing. Are you going to come in and bless the church? Are you going to come in to fleece the flock? Are you going to come in to seek the Lord? Are you going to come in and be in distraction? Are you here to serve the Lord? These guys, these temple guards, they had a heavy responsibility. You guys know how, you know, you read the Old Testament, you see all these things. And, you know, we don't do that necessarily here, but, man, I pray that, you know, that, that it wouldn't take the usher back there to check you, check your heart when you come in. I pray you'd be your own gatekeeper. You check your heart before you come in. Are you here to seek the Lord? Are you here to worship? Are you here to learn God's word? Or are you here to criticize? Are you here to see that, you know, well, let's see what I can get, rather than what I can give? It's crazy. You know, some churches, you get some guys that go in and just want to find a girlfriend. God knows the heart. I pray, and I, you guys aren't as bad because you're here on a midweek, right? <laughs> you're on a Thursday night, and so it's not as bad probably as a Sunday morning, but a lot of times people are not here for the right reasons. They are not here, like we sang earlier, hungering and thirsting after God. They're here maybe to make themselves feel better because they did the midweek service. They're here because they're, they feel guilty if they're not here. Maybe that's a little good, but it's not good enough. We come here to seek the Lord. These temple guards, the thing I love about these guys is that they were there to do just that. One man said this, essentially their duty was to make ordinary people aware of the practical limits of holiness. For anyone entering the sanctuary unlawfully did so on the penalty of death. And you go into the temple and you weren't clean, God would kill. Now, thank God he doesn't do that a whole lot nowadays. You know, but... um, that we do read in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 about those who would take communion in an unworthy manner. They bring judgment upon themselves. And so there's different types of reactions to that. Some people, what they do when they hear stuff like that, they're like, oh, those church guys, they're so, you know, strict. And, you know, I don't know if I'm going to go there because they talk about things like sin and judgment. Other people would take that and they would use it so that God would clean their heart so that there would be a healthy fear of the Lord. Because the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? So you got these guys there that are are checking you when you come in. Are you here, you know, to seek God? Are you here to find forgiveness? Are you here, you know, because you need him, because you want him? Warren Wiersbe said this, it seems that the gatekeepers watched the people come and go and made sure that nobody was deliberately defiling the temple or behaving in a way that disgraced the sanctuary of the Lord. And so that's what they did, the gatekeepers. They were there. And we saw in verses 1 through 3, the sons of Asaph. Again, this is not the Asaph of the Psalms. It's a different Asaph. And then, then we have this guy, Michelle Amiah. Uh, his seven sons, right? And then the chronicler then moves to the sons of Obed-Edom, his eight sons. Look what it says in verse 4. Moreover, the sons of Obed-Edom were Shemaiah, the firstborn, Jehazabad, the second, Joah, the third, Sekar, the fourth, Nethanel, the fifth, 
and Amiel the sixth, Issachar the seventh, Pulthal the eighth, for God blessed him. I like that. He had a whole bunch of boys. <laughs> Probably girls too. No offense, but I guess the girls weren't mentioned. But here you have eight sons. And a lot of people nowadays will look at, man, you got so many kids. I feel sorry for you, right? No way. Not in God's kingdom. Man, the Lord blessed him with all these kids, right? And then some people say eight is enough. And I don't know if it's necessarily enough, you know. God blessed him. And, and this guy, Obed-Edom, he actually had a, a, a heart that was just so right. If you guys remember, when they were bringing the Ark of the Covenant um, and David messed up, it ended up kicking back at Obed-Edom's house for three months, right? And we read in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 10 and 11, it says, So David would not move the Ark of the Lord with him into the city of David, but David took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite, the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. I want the Lord. I want the presence of the Lord. I want the Lord and the fullness of the presence of the Lord in my house. In my house. Some people will look at the church and say, take care of my teenager. And we got your teenager for, you know, an hour, an hour and a half question is, what's going on when he's at home with you? Is your home filled with the presence of the Lord? That's what the Ark of the Covenant was all about. This, you know, some people come to church and say, well, that's a holy building. And it, yeah, in one sense it is because we're gathering together to seek the Lord. But I want you to know that your house can be a holy house. You know, you go and you anoint your doorposts and lintels and you take some oil if necessary and you sprinkle it with blood, whatever it takes, and you put up scriptures and all the walls and you play praise music through that you know, stereo system that you have. And you welcome the presence of the Lord into your house and he will bless your family. So, you know, we got him for an hour, an hour and a half, maybe a couple of times a week. The school has him for how long? What happens when they're at your house? Take advantage of that because I've learned now my, my kids are not kids anymore. It flies. Seize the opportunities that you have. Obed-Edom was blessed because of the fact that he filled his house with the presence of God. And not only the, that, here's the thing. That Ark of the Covenant, it symbolized the presence of God. David tried carrying it up on the cart like the world did. And so I think it's not just a, a wall of the presence of God, but it's, it's handling with care and holiness the things of the Lord. Right? The Ark of the Covenant needed to be handled with care. And so you guys, my encouragement, walk in holiness. Welcome the presence of God into your life. He will bless you. And look what we read next. Also to Shemaiah, his son, were sons born, who governed their father's houses because they were men of great ability. The sons of Shemaiah were Othni, Raphael, Obed, and Elzebedad, whose brothers Elihu and Semachiah were able men. All these were of the sons of Obed-Edom, they and their sons and their brethren, able men with strength for the work. 62, 
of Obed-Edom. And so, you know, you start off with, you know, Korah and his son, uh, Meshelamiah, and the sons of Cori, the sons of Asaph. You get into these sons of his, the sons of Obed-Edom, and then the sons of Shemaiah. It says right there in verse 8, also to Shemaiah, his son, were born sons who governed their father's houses. Why? Because they were men of great ability. Now this is interesting. Um, the word right here, it speaks of men who are strong. Uh, it's Verse 6 calls them men of great ability. Verse 7 calls them able men. And verse 8 calls them able men with strength for the work. So these are not like weak guys. These are strong men. As a matter of fact, the Old King James he uses the phrase mighty men of valor. The second Hebrew word used in that text is usually rendered army. And so in one sense, we could almost say like they were strong, mighty men of valor. They were like soldiers. They were like army men, right? And these were the ones that were the gatekeepers, strong leaders, strong soldiers, good guards, and how important this is for God's people. Now, in one sense, being a, a, an usher or a gatekeeper back then, perhaps some of the guys were saying that they were big and strong, maybe it was in their genes physically. But for us here, I would say that it has to take place spiritually, right? Um, how we need to be, like we saw earlier in verse 16, you know, watchmen who are not weak. You know, and the church can unfortunately suffer from some guys who won't share the word. Isaiah 56.10 talks about some watchmen. Think about this, who are blind men. Now, I'll be honest with you guys. Sometimes I'm spending time with the Lord, and I'm talking with the Lord, and I'll say, Lord, I can't believe that, that you would allow me to be a leader. And a lot of you guys here are leaders. If you're a husband, you're a leader. And, and so people are following your lead, right? Well, what happens when the leader can't see? It's the blind leading the blind. That's why the leader, he can't be blind. The leader, he can't be deaf. The leader, he can't be mute. Isaiah 56.10 talks about leaders that are like dogs that can't bark. I thank God for my little dog. I mean, I really do. That little dog, he's got microscopic ears or whatever. I don't know if they came from a bat or something, but he can hear so good. And if there's, I mean, I'm talking about the, the, the guys that were across the street. They were going to steal something from across the street. Homeboy Chip, he, he barked. So my wife gets over. She's like, what's going on? Next thing you know, we called the cops. Next thing you know, you're surrounding them. It's like a movie. We're watching the whole thing, right? <laughs> and then the guys finally split, and you got guns pulled, and people getting arrested, and it was so exciting, right? But it all started with this little dog that was willing to bark. Some pastors are not, are not willing to bark. They're not willing to warn. They're not strong. They're not watchmen. They have no courage. Now, I don't want to go to the other side because I've seen other guys out there that are terrible witnesses. 
terrible. And all they want you to talk about is the lake of fire. And if you're not like that, I got a letter today from somebody like that. I don't know him. It was from some other state, and it's just some generic letter. But, you know, we don't go to that extreme either, you guys. I thank God that you guys are balanced. The Calvary Chapel is a balanced ministry. We'll talk about sin. We'll talk about grace. We'll talk about hell. We'll talk about heaven. You know, we have to have that, that balance. But when it's time, you know, as we're going through the scriptures and God says, I want to warn these people because I love them so much, we've got to make sure that we do just that. And we warn them with the word. You know, Jeremiah talks about similar men who were not strong. He said, I set watchmen over you, saying, listen to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not listen. You know, Ezekiel 3, if you get a chance, read it later. Ezekiel 33. They talk about watchmen who were not, you know, who were challenged. And basically, God said, if you warn them, then your hands are clean. If you don't warn them, then their blood is on your hands. And it's a real heavy warning to us all. And so this is why, and I'm just going to say this, if you're going to answer the call to be a watchman for God, then you need to be strong, and you need to be able to have the strength and ability that only God can provide. Like the sons of Obed-Edom, the sons of his son, Shemaiah, who the Bible says were mighty men of valor, of great strength and ability. They were army men, and they were strong soldiers for such a work. And in looking at this, what we find is God puts people in their places, men with that mission. It's so cool when God puts them there. And God will do that. Isaiah 62, 6 is a beautiful verse. It says, I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord do not keep silent. And so... You know, different places in the temple, and they're just all so important. Uh, look at verse 9. It says, And Meshulamiah had sons and brethren, 18 able men. And Hosa of the children of Merari had sons, Shimri the first. For though he was not the firstborn, his father made him the first. Hilkiah the second, Tabaliah the third, Zechariah the fourth, and all the sons and brethren of Hosa were 13. And so you see this right here, you know, how God puts people where he wants them to be. And it's so important for us to know that. You know, like when I was, you know, just, I don't know, I guess you could say became a Christian, I would just follow the Lord one step at a time. You know, when you read the book of Acts, that's all that the Lord really asked them to do is to, is to follow them one step at a time. You might not know the whole journey. You might not know the entire calling of your life. And sometimes people get frustrated with that. But you don't have to. Just follow the Lord one step at a time. I remember my boss told me, he said, you only go as far as you fail. And when I heard that, it challenged me as a Christian. Now, he was speaking in a, secular, in a secular sense, but the Lord challenged me in a spiritual sense. He said to me, he said, wherever I put you, I want you to do that with all of your heart. And as you're following the Lord one step at a time, you're not making it happen. God will open doors that no man can close. 
And thank God, sometimes he closes doors that no man can open. You know, it's interesting right here, he talks about Shimri, the first, for though he was not the firstborn, his father made him the first. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. You see it frequently in the Bible where, you know what, he was supposed to be the firstborn, but because he blew it, God has someone else waiting in the wings because God will do his work. We see it frequently, the firstborn forfeiting his rights, Ishmael and Isaac, Jacob and Esau, Reuben and Judah, Manasseh and Ephraim. God says, no, I'm going to do things differently. Apparently, this guy right here, Shimri, lived his life in such a way to be promoted, and his older brother lived his life in such a way to be demoted. And God will put people where he wants them to be. God will put you there. Just continue in your faithfulness. Like Henry was saying earlier, Moses was 80. Like, no, I can't wait till I'm 80. Well, you know, probably won't be that long for you. Maybe it'll be 10 years for you like it was with David or 13 years like it was with Joseph. I don't know. Now, Abraham was 70 and then 75. He didn't have a son until he was 100. I don't know. The main thing is you be faithful where God's called you. The, that psalm, I always share it with you, 75, 6, and 7, for exaltation comes neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south, but God is the judge, and he puts down one and exalts another. And so we read in verse 12, among these were the divisions of the gatekeepers, among the chief men having duties, just like their brethren, to serve in the house of the Lord. Now again, you know, some might see a gatekeeper as being insignificant, right? I mean, we gone over this section right here, and, and David talked about, you know, how he appointed the king, that would be Solomon. Do you think the king's important? Yeah, and then he, he appointed the, the high priest, Aaron. You think that's important? The Levites, helpers to the priest, that's important. But now you're talking about the ushers. The ushers. Are the ushers important? Absolutely. That's what we read right here. You know, some might not see it as significant, but they're important. You know, and just as a quick side note, for those of you that are ushers here, do you realize that you're the first face that a lot of people see? And many times people will make their decision of whether or not this is a loving church or a friendly church or the church that they're going to belong to based on how that usher greets them at that door out there. It's huge. And you come, and sometimes I've seen ushers, and they're mean. I'm like, man, you should not be an usher. <laughs> you know, you got to smile, and you got to love people. You're the, in one sense, they say that ushers are sometimes like the face of the church. And I would say, well, that would also include singers and pastors and teachers. But you know what I'm saying? What a huge place those ushers are. They're guards, they're security guys. And not only that, when you look at this right here, what you find is that they're watchmen. And so, you know, you have, you know, different types of people. We've got the, the leaders, the, the priests. They're important with a variety of responsibility. But now you have the, the, the ushers, the doorkeepers, the gatekeepers, and you're wondering, well, is that important? And, of course, we read in verse 12, it basically says, yes, that these are, look, it says verse 12, among these were the divisions of the gatekeepers among the chief men. The chief men having duties just like their brethren to serve in the house of the Lord. I mean, their chief men, they just, just like their brothers, just like those priests, just like those pastors. 
Let me tell you something. Being a gatekeeper or a doorkeeper or an usher, so to speak, that's just as much of an awesome place to be in serving the Lord, for there you are stationed by the Lord in the house of the Lord for the Lord and the people of the Lord. And I love what it says in Psalm 84, verse 10. It says, For a day in your courts is a thousand better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. You should go home and listen to that song, huh? Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere, right? One guy said this, all tasks, whether mundane or specialized, religious or lay, have value in the eyes of God. The distinction between the sacred and secular disappears. And then you go, and where, where do you work at? I'm just curious, where do you work at? I was talking to Matthew today, and uh, I forgot who else was there. I think Peter and Sergio and these different guys, you know, and, and I just, and I know they know this, but just those reminders, man, that where you are stationed in your school and your job places, don't you know how important that is? And it's not secular. You want to know why it's not secular? It's sacred because you're there. And I can tell you stories of how the Lord used Fernando to bring a coworker and, of course, others to Christ. And I remember when I used to work at Vons, and they, you know, they thought I was like this crazy, you know, preacher guy. And when I left, they did, they called it the Last Supper. I remember that they did that. I don't know why, you know. But I was just scattering seeds and just telling people about Jesus all the time. And sometimes you see the fruit right away, but other times you don't see it until years later. And I remember going places and Christian bookstores and seeing people that I used to work with, realizing that those seeds found a home. That's sacred. Where you are is sacred. And sometimes people say, well, I want to go work at the church. I want to be a pastor. And if that's the calling in your life, praise God. But sometimes I will. I wish that I could go out where you are. I would love to be among all those high school kids, even though they're knuckleheads, right? <laughs> I would love to be there and just shine and try to tell them about Jesus. The grass is always greener on the other side of the fence, huh? Be careful. Follow the Lord and make that place a sacred place. Right here he's talking about these ushers, and he's saying they're serving in the house of the Lord just like the rest of the guys are, right? Because that's where God put them. Look at verse 13. It says, And they cast lots for each gate, the small as well as the great, according to their father's house. The lot for the east gate fell to Shelemiah. Then they cast lots for his son Zechariah, a wise counselor, and his lot came out for the north gate. To Obed-Edom, the south gate. See, you guys know Southgate was there even back then, right? <laughs> and to his sons, the storehouse, uh, to Shupim and Hosa, the lot came out for the west gate with the Shelaketh gate on the ascending highway, watchmen opposite watchmen. What is that? What is going on there? The Lord is deciding not only what position they're going to you know, have, or oh, I want you to be a gatekeeper, but he's, he's deciding where, where they will be stationed. You see? Why? Because Proverbs 16.33 says that every time you play Yahtzee, God's the one that determines who wins, right? He controls those that dice. 
He controls the lots. He's making the decisions. He's got his, his plans all over your life. All over your life. The timing, the place, the position. You just keep following him, right? And when we have the east gate and it fell to Shelemiah. And if you were to look at the tabernacle, you would find that most people would come in through the east gate. And so that's why the sons of Shelemiah, they were the strong guys. And there was a lot of guys there on the east gate. Um, these were the army men that we read of earlier. And then there was a, the north gate. And this guy, Zechariah, right here, it says that he was, notice again there in verse 14, the lot fell for the east gate. It fell to uh, Shelemiah. Then they lost, cast lots for his son, Zechariah. And notice how he's described as a wise counselor. You know, and the Lord gives different gifts to people. This guy, there wouldn't be as much, you know, gate action, but people would go to him uh, for counsel, right? He was, a, he was a wise counselor. Quite possible that people would receive counsel from these guys in the gates. We see that in the scriptures. And then we have the south gate. It went to Obed-Edom, and they would take care of the storehouses. And so making sure that no one got robbed, things like that. And the west gate and the Shalaketh gate, it went to Shupim and Hosa on the ascending highway. And so now you have a highway involved. And so you've got watchmen who are, you know, keeping an eye on things, making sure no one goes in that shouldn't go in, right? And if the enemy comes, they would blow the horn. And, you know, you look at this right here, it even tells them, you know, you just the number of men, the details. Look at verse 17 on the west side were six Levites, on the north four each day, on the south four each day, and for the storehouse two by two. As for the parbar on the west, there were four on the highway and two at the parbar. These were the divisions of the gatekeepers among the sons of Korah and among the sons of Merari. And so um, the parbar was probably a, a colonnade or some type of court that would extend west of the temple. And so all we're saying, and I don't know if you guys realize this, but the Lord has people in their places. And some of you guys, you come in, and, and maybe you're not signed up for ministry, but let me ask you a question. Do you pray? You pray, huh? And it all adds up. And then one day, maybe you're going to get involved in that way. you got different ministries, and it's all the Lord. It's all the Lord. It's so cool. Look what we read in verse 20 of the Levites. Ahijah was over the treasuries of the house of God and over the treasuries of the dedicated things. And the sons of Laodin, the descendants of the Gershonites of Laodin, heads of their father's houses of Laodin, the Gershonite, and Jehali. The sons of Jehali, uh, Zetham and Joel, his brother, were over the treasuries of the house of the Lord. Of the Amramites, the Israelites, the Hebronites, and Musealites, Shebiel, the son of Gershom, the son of Moses, was overseer of the treasuries. And his brethren by Eliezer were Rehabiah his son, Jeshaiah his son, Jaram his son, Zikri his son, and Shelemeth his son. And this Shelemeth and his brethren were over all the treasuries of the dedicated things which King David and the heads of fathers' houses, the captains over thousands and hundreds, and the captains of the army had dedicated some of the spoils won in battles. They dedicated to, notice, maintain the house of the Lord. 
And all that Samuel, the seer, even Saul, the son of Kish, Abner, the son of Ner, and Joab, the son of Zeruiah, had dedicated every dedicated thing was under the hand of Shelemith and his brethren. And all it is before David dies is he's organizing things the way they should be. And he's talking about gatekeepers. Here he's talking about treasurers. He's also talking about those that would give uh, to the house of the Lord. And so it's cool reading this right here. These are, are treasures that are dedicated. Gold that was given to God. Silver that was set apart for spiritual purposes. And again, you need all this, huh? It's all part of a, a church. It's all part of a work of God, right? You need treasurers. What an important place to be. You know, to have a treasurer, um, not only does it require somebody who's good at math. Anybody here good at math? A couple of you are. I'm going to talk to you afterwards, if that's okay. Not only do you have to be good at math, but you have to be so trustworthy. You know, you have to be so trustworthy, and you're going to see what everybody gives. And you're wow, look at those people over there. They give a lot of money. And then you start being real nice to them, right? <laughs> All those people over here, they don't really give a lot. And then, you know, it takes someone to check a heart. That's why pastors, they shouldn't, we don't see what you guys give. But even those who do, we've made real, we're real careful about those guys. Because we want to make sure that that would never, ever change the way that they would treat anyone or see anyone. You know, it has to be somebody that would be trustworthy. Because how many times have you heard in churches where guys, they steal from the church? A lot of times. You hear that many times, and it's crazy. You know, uh, that Billy Graham said three things will bring a man down, pride, women, and money. And let's just say the offerings are there, and next thing you know, they feel like, oh, I deserve more. Someone starts, you know, doing the five-finger thing and pulling that out, and, and God sees. And so you really need to have, you know, trustworthy men with the responsibility, and there needs to be tons of accountability. You know, we have many individuals that are named here in our passage, and, and in the, the responsibility of the finances, it says right there in verse 27 that they were given to maintain the house of the Lord. Now, that word translated maintain right there, it means to repair uh, partially, but it primarily means to make strong. And I thought that was really cool. You know, if you have an old King James, you may have noticed that the, the word gatekeeper was translated porter. Did any of you guys see that? Any of you here have an old King James? And so the, the, the usher is cleaning. I mean, just, you know, just so much responsibility but here, with the finances, those finances are really supposed to use as an investment to make the church strong. That's, that's the agenda. That's our desire, right? And we need trustworthy treasures, people with vision. Uh, we also need people who are dedicated to God to such a point that they would dedicate things to God. You know, and we don't talk about this a lot, um, but, you know, I mean, just if you want to get blessed, you give to God. You know, if I was you, I would give to him off the top. Don't wait and see if you have enough money, because you don't want to know what happens if you wait and see if you have enough money. 
you're not going to have enough money. <laughs> if you wait and see if you have enough money and then you give to God the leftovers, how can God bless you? We're going to see later in chapter 29 of this, this book that, that David led the way in giving. Pastors should be giving. Leaders should be giving. And, you know, when people dedicate, and you have all these guys that are dedicating things to the Lord, all that does is it shows that they're, you know, they're dedicated to God. And so, you know, we're going to see that in chapter 29. It's so cool to see how the Lord just puts everything together, the leaders, the helpers, the singers, the keepers, the treasurers, and then the officers. Um, in looking at this, look what we read here in verse 29 of the Israelites. Chenaiah and his sons performed duties as officials and judges over Israel outside Jerusalem. Of the Hebronites, Hashabiah and his brethren, 1,700 able men, had the oversight of Israel on the west side of the Jordan for all the business of the Lord and in the service of the king. And among the Hebronites, Jerijah was the head of the Hebronites, according to his genealogy of the fathers. In the 40th year of the reign of David, they were sought and they were found among them capable men at Jazer of Gilead. And his brethren were 2,700 able men, heads of fathers' houses whom King David made officials over the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh for every matter pertaining to God and the affairs of the king. And so you guys know what that's all about? You don't need an explanation, right? All, all it is is uh, you have your city of Jerusalem. What about like all the other areas of Israel? What about, like, for example, on the other side of the Jordan River, on the east side? Well, that's where these officers come into play. They were like officers, officials, and judges who they judged over Israel outside of Jerusalem. And they would go and some say even collect taxes. They would teach the laws of the Lord and even enforce the laws of the king. Now, before we go on, what is interesting to me, if you guys, you guys kind of have a visual of a map of Israel, some of you guys do. Later on, if you, if you don't, you know, look at a map, and you'll see that ten and a half tribes were on the, on the west side. It was a huge area. But then you have two and a half tribes on the, on the east side, nine and a half, two and a half. And so, you know, a smaller place, you know, the half tribe of Manasseh and Gad and Ephraim, but they had more judges on that side. Why? Why did they have 2,700 on the small side and only 1,700 on the big side? And the answer is because those people who were distant from Jerusalem, those people who were on the wrong side of the Jordan, and they had settled there in God's permissive will because they thought the land was good for their animals, they didn't really enter in all the way. And for them, it was more of a struggle. It was a struggle for them. And as a matter of fact, when you study and Assyria came and they took Israel captive, the first ones to go were those two and a half tribes who were on the wrong side of the Jordan. And so here's the lesson, I think, in looking at that. 
I encourage you guys to make sure that you are not in any way far away from the Lord. If you are, don't tolerate it for another single second. You know, right where you're at, you drop to your knees. Right where you're at, you get on your knees and you start crying out to God, make my heart right. God, make my heart right. Because if not, you're going to be the first to be swept away. You know, we talked about this before, how in 1 Peter 5.8, it says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You know, and, uh, and we talked about how what the lions do is they watch, you know, the herds. And, you know, not that they're going to be looking for the strongest one to take down necessarily. What they're going to be looking for is the one who's straggling behind, the one who's weak, the one who's an easy prey. And that's what happened with these two and a half tribes on the wrong side. And so, you know, I just really encourage you guys to know the love of God and to know the fact that the Bible says in James chapter 4, verse 8, that if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. You don't have to be far or distant or on the wrong side of the Jordan. Okay? Come back over. Right here, right now. Right here to where you belong. You know, the next chapter, and I know there's a big groan. <gasps> okay, no. <laughs> the next chapter, we're not going to read all the names, but which, aren't you guys blessed that I read all the names in the previous chapter? I didn't pronounce any of them right. <laughs> but now you have names for your kids, right? <laughs> the next chapter is just the military divisions. Look what it says in verse 1. And the children of Israel, according to their number, the heads of fathers' houses, the captains of thousands and hundreds, and their officers, they served the king in every matter of the military divisions. These divisions came in and went out month by month throughout all the month of the year, each division having 24,000. And so you have different divisions, 24,000. They served one month out of the year. How many of you guys would like to have a job like that, just out of curiosity? <laughs> that would be really nice, huh? Well, that's where these guys were. And, you know, 24,000, 12 teams, 288,000. It's really cool to look at this, how this all worked out. And, you know, in looking at this, we have Benaiah, who's mentioned here in verse 6. This guy, if you have a chance later, read about him in 2 Samuel 23, 20 through 21. How this guy killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day. Basically the worst enemy under the worst circumstances. And he won. So these are soldiers. These are mighty men of God. And did you guys know that you're soldiers? 2 Timothy chapter 2 says that we are soldiers. And he says soldiers endure hardships for the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to make sure that we endure these hardships so we can please him who enlisted us as a soldier. In verses 16 through 22, we have the tribal leaders over all the different tribes. And again, all it is, and I think to me the message is structure, although God does know all these guys by name, right? And then in verses 25 through 31, we have the king's officers, managers, and representatives. 
Look what it says right there in verse 25. And Asmaveth, the son of Adiel, was over the king's treasuries. And Jehonathan, the son of Uzziah, was over the storehouses in the field, in the cities, in the villages, and in the fortresses. Ezri, the son of Chelub, was over those who did work of the field for tilling the ground. And Shimei, the Ramathite, was over the vineyards. And Zabdi, the Shiphmite, was over the produce of the vineyards for the supply of wine. Baal Hanan, the Gedarite, was over the olive trees and the sycamore trees that were in the lowlands. And Joash was over the store of oil. And Shetri, the Sharonite, was over the herds that fed in Sharon. And Shephaath, the son of Adai, was over the herds that were in the valleys. Obel, the Ishmaelite, was over the camels. And real quick, that's interesting because here's an Arab over the camels. This would be his field of expertise. There's no partiality here. He's putting the right men in, in the right places, right? And you have Jedahiah, the Maranathite, who was over the donkeys. And Jaziz, the Hagrite, was over the flocks. All these were the officials over King David's property. And Jehonathan, David's uncle, was a counselor, a wise man, and a scribe. And Jehiel, the son of Hakmane, was the king's sons. He was with the king's sons, so we believe he was more like a tutor. And every leader needs wise counselors. David surrounded himself with men. Here we read about Ahithophel in verse 33. He was the king's counselor who later turned on him. When Absalom rebelled against David, Ahithophel, who was related to Bathsheba, turned on David as well. And so to be the king's counselor meant that you were, you were tight. But here was a guy, another example of a Judas, right? And then Hushai, the archite, was the king's companion. And that guy Hushai, I like him. He was a counselor. But the, the thing that the Bible calls him most frequently is, you want to know what? It calls him a friend. It calls him a friend. And you read that over in 2 Samuel 15, 37, and chapter 16, verse 16, and 16, verse 17. And I was even talking to Henry about this the other day. I said, man, sometimes you just want guys who are just, just your friends. Doesn't have to be a position. Everybody just needs friends, right? That's what Hushai was, even though he was also a counselor in one sense. And then after Hithophel was Jehoiada, the son of Benaiah, and then Abiathar, and the general of the king's army was who? He was Joab. He was the best general. Even though I think David probably would have chose someone else, you know, when David was on the run and Joab was there, and there were all these mighty men that were serving. You know, David didn't just say, okay, Joab, you go ahead and you be the general. No, he said, whoever, whoever earns it. And he's going to be the general, and it was Joab. Uh, Joab, uh, I was interesting, when you read about this guy, in, in one sense, he was just so loyal to David, in, in one sense. But in another sense, he was a troublemaker. <laughs> That's why when David died, uh, David was about to die, he told Solomon, he said, you know what, if you want to establish your throne, you're going to have to take care of, of Joab. And so... It's interesting to me how the Lord will put people where he wants them to be, how he's on the throne. No perfect people, but God did a great work through the structure and the organization of Joab. And so how many names did we read today? Does anybody know? 
I think I should get like a free cheeseburger or something for reading all these names. <laughs> How many names are mentioned in the Bible? Here's a, a trivia question for you. 3,237 different people are mentioned in the Bible. Not names, just people. 3,237. You know, some of them obviously have the same names, right? Uh, from what I understand, there's only 1,794 actual names, but some of those names are used for different people, right? And so when you read this right here, it's interesting to me how you look at all these names and you're like, well, big deal. But they're a big deal to God, huh? To me, it's interesting. In John chapter 10, I think it's verse 3, Jesus said, I know all my sheep by name. Every single one of them he calls by name. And I just pray in reading this right here, and I know we had to kind of fly over that last chapter. We didn't read all the names that you would know. It's not because they're not significant. They are. And, and you are. You know, and I, I'm not trying to say that just to, to flatter you or be nice to you. Um, I'm just saying that because it's biblical. You know, God knows your name. God knows the gifts and the callings and the talents and the places and the positions and the timing and, and just everything. And if he's calling your name, if he's calling you, yeah, I encourage you to be blessed by that. And, man, to run to him. That's my prayer tonight, you guys. Lord, we thank you so much that we can run to you. You know, I know part of me wants to hurry up because um, there might be some here who are in a hurry to go. Maybe they have to get to bed a certain time or do different things. Maybe they're hungry for food. But Lord... I just know how it is. A lot of times, um, once life gets back into that, you know, busyness that we kind of we miss the opportunity to draw near, to get right. And so, Lord, I just pray today. I want to be, you know, the first one to take that step forward. I want to, I want you to work in my life, Lord. I want to be right before you, Lord. I ask that you would work that work in me, that I, right here in this place, that you would hear my cry. Lord, I need you. My wife needs you. My children need you. We need you, Lord. We need what only you can do, Lord, to touch lives. And I just pray that as you look upon us, Lord, and your word talks about how your eyes scan to and fro throughout the whole earth, your word talks about how you search with scrutiny and 
you gaze upon the hearts and you see everything that we're struggling with. That right here you wash us, you cleanse us. And right here, Lord, that you would do a just a new work of baptizing us in the power of the Holy Spirit. That if there is anyone here today who doesn't have an insatiable hunger to get into your word, then you give it, you give that to them. That if there's anyone here today who doesn't have this, this passionate longing to pray, that you give them that today. That if there's anyone here tonight, Lord God, amongst us, whose heart is not inclined to obedience, Lord, that you would incline their hearts today. That if there's anyone here today who is being oppressed by demonic spirits, God, we pray today that you would remove those spirits, that you would banish them, that you would set them to the pit before their time. God, that you cover us with the blood of Jesus, you cover us with your protection, and that you do a great and mighty work, Lord, in our hearts. And I just want to thank you, Lord, so much for giving us this opportunity, Lord. Bless your people, build them up, make them strong. And and I don't know, Lord, it, maybe they won't feel it. It doesn't matter. Just that when they go, when they get in their car, and when they go home, they'll know something's different. Because you're working in us, Lord. And so that's my prayer, Lord. Help us in that. I pray with all my heart. Love you and thank you so much. Bless your people. Keep them safe as they travel and just do a great and wonderful and awesome work, Lord, under King Jesus, Lord, the leader of this nation. Lord, I pray and I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.